0: This is Allison from Louisiana at the Gallifrey Convention. This is the Doctor Who podcast and you are most welcome.
1: In a jam-packed episode of the Doctor Who podcast, we have news, we have feedback and a talk about a man named Barry.
2: Indeed, Welcome to episode 142 of the Doctor Who podcast and uh, as Trev summarised and preceded quite nicely in the intro, we're going to be talking about reality television, <laughs> this particular episode of the Doctor <laughs> Who podcast, something that we don't do very often and um, is, is normally something that Doctor Who fans object to massively, uh, but there is actually a Doctor Who reason for us doing so this time, isn't there?
1: Indeed, indeed, yeah. We, we've both seen a wonderful little show which, which I believe has only just started over there in the U of K called get your house in order. Mm. Now, for any Doctor fans that may be listening to this podcast, if you uh, check out episode six of this particular uh, series, it will have a very special Doctor Who reference for you. The conceit of this series is basically they um, have a um, designer and they have a, a guy who uh, is, is good at selling stuff. And they visit people in the U of K who have lots of clutter in their house. You know, wall-to-wall piles of newspapers and and models and goodness knows what. And they leap in there and they, on one hand, they organise their life and try and declutter them and they try and sell some of their gear so then they can then use that money to uh, fund a redesign of rooms or even the entire house. And that's what they've done for this particular episode of uh, Get Your House In Order with, as I'll say, our mate Barry. (laughs) <laughs> That's quite a nice
2: summary, really. Um, and the reason why we wanted to talk about it in so much detail on the DWP is because part of this television programme was recorded at the Big Blue Box Convention and Ian and I attended back in January this year. The guy in question, Barry, uh, was was at the convention. He, he seemed to be dragged against his will, it has to be said. Um, he didn't look particularly pleased to be at the convention. Uh, but part of his collection that was cluttering up his house was was that of Dr Who memorabilia it was it was dvds there were toys there were pretty much anything you can think of that had doctor who in it and it it wasn't just a normal collection uh, in, in as much as he had every single dvd he had 3 planet of the spider dvds you know <laughs> I, we don't really know why. Uh, it, it, it's possible that he may have thought they would have gained value in time in the same way the VHS mm. ones did towards the end of the video lifespan, really. Um But it could quite possibly have been because he'd lost the previous two in his house full of junk, so he thought you didn't have it to start with. (laughs) Um, But anyway, getting back to um, the actual convention, um, Colin Baker was was, was dragged in, which was, you know, nothing to do with the events. The organiser didn't solicit his attendance at all. He just happened to be there as part of this Channel 4 programme. And Colin Baker basically took the role of market trader and tried to sell all of Barry's stuff. And I have to say, it was remarkably effective because I ended up buying a a keyring Dalek for about 10 quid, uh, mainly because the sixth doctor came over, put his hands on my shoulders, and said, "What are you going to buy, young man?" And it was partially being called young man that made me think, "Oh, yeah, I'm definitely going to give this man <laughs> some money." Uh, but yeah, it, it's on my bookshelf at the moment. It's a, a small Dalek keyring in a small plastic casing, signed by signed by Colin Baker. Uh, but one of one of the good things, and of course, the main reason as to why we're talking about this, Trevor, is that I was on television. I was actually part indeed, of this, uh, indeed, thing. yeah. It's only for about two minutes.
1: I was sitting there with my wife, Megan, watching it because we knew this episode was coming on and we were looking forward to it. And we sat there for most of it and they got to the Big Blue Bots convention and suddenly I screamed out, there's James, there's James! <laughs> Megan turned me and went, who? Who? <laughs>
2: well, this is the thing you see. On, on screen at that particular moment in time, there were four people. There was the main presenter who was speaking to camera there was Colin Baker in the background to the right and there was Ian and me in the background to the left. And of course, the only thing I was interested in was seeing these fuzzy images of me. I think it's the first time I've made it onto national television. And certainly I think... um, Both Ian and my ploy for uh, loitering around the camera worked, at least for a little bit. And uh, if, if you want to go see that particular screen cap, in all fairness, we were on screen for about 2.5 seconds. One of our forum <laughs> members has pasted a screen cap on the forum. Uh, so if you want to go and see that, you can uh, just head
1: over to the forum section of our website. Lovely, lovely. Mm. Yeah, it, it was a fascinating program, really, because like you say, this, this poor guy, Barry, um, seemed to be coerced into taking part in this thing. He he seemed to be coerced by the um makers of this T V show to declutter his house to get rid of all the junk. And but it it has to be seen to be believed really. I mean, we've all got like stuff maybe piled in corridors you know, we might have a few drawers that don't close properly because there's too much stuff in them. But this guy, you literally cannot or you literally couldn't walk in many of his rooms because the stuff was piled high to the ceilings and in some rooms there was like a, a very thin corridor where he could walk through to get to more piles of stuff it, it was absolutely insane to watch you just sat there with your mouth open going my goodness how does someone get to this point it is a serious condition this sort of, sort of compulsive need to collect or to accumulate (laughs) but then you don't know where to switch off Mm, and mm. people like Barry have that unfortunately and uh, you know like he's got 25 copies of One Radio Times and uh, 20 different um, sealed Dalek boxes and stuff like that yeah I mean, on the one hand, you feel sorry for the guy, but then on the other hand, you think, well, how how could it ever get this bad?
2: Well, I agree. I, I think there is a, a line to be drawn, and I think Channel 4 failed hugely to walk that, that fine line. Um, yeah, I, I think on one side, most Doctor Who fans, or, or fans of any... Uh, show really, I think it's fandom in general. It's not unique to Doctor Who. Um, have this gene, if you like, that may be more developed than the normal person's. So you do have uh, a tendency to go out and buy stuff, and you think, oh, it would be really good. You get, you know, thirty-five, forty-year-old men mainly. It has to be said, buying small action figures of uh, of characters they see on television. Now that that's a bit weird. It's, it's the same way that I, I don't really understand why fully grown adults would buy Lego because it is fundamentally a a, a child's toy and uh, I I certainly played with it when I was small but I don't quite see the fascination with Lego as as an adult uh, clearly but with Barry you're right it just didn't stop this this fan gene this hoarding thing that he had inside of him just was completely Mm. out of control.
3: Barry's even clinging on to his 5,000 strong Radio Times collection.
1: And what do you think all these are worth? Probably not a lot at the moment, but it's in the future, maybe.
3: I don't see the point in
0: keeping them. This stuff's got to go in the bin and recycled. What's the point of that?
1: Uh, well, The thing is, I mean, if, you know, I'm talking not to talk about now, I'm talking about the future.
0: 1965, Radio Times, the funeral of Sir Winston Churchill. Yeah. I mean, probably one of the most historically important figures yeah. in, in British history of the last hundred or so years. Yeah. It's taken 50 years for this to be worth five quid. There's one on there right now for a fiver on eBay. I had a look. Nobody's bought it. I mean, how much is Bill Odie going to be worth in 50 years' time? Nothing. That's your opinion.
2: So that's the one side, and I think most people who watched it thought this guy needed to really you know, change the way that he lived because it was only going to be a matter of time before a whole bunch of VHS videos crushed him to death because they were piled <laughs> up to the <laughs> ceiling. Uh, however, much, however, much. it clearly wasn't this guy's idea to have this reality team clear out his house. It was mm. his brother's. And I think his brother was pushed on several occasions probably by the production team to pressurize barry to get rid of stuff and uh, it just seemed very very contrived uh, that there, there were moments mm. that were supposed to be emotional where barry's brother you know hugged him uh, and, and said you know this is for your own good etc
3: barry has been slowly reducing his hoard but with the great bulk still remaining mark wants to encourage his brother further
0: you know that I love you, and you know that I, I, I care for you. Mm. And it's not about yeah. having a go at you, it's about trying well, to... Well,
1: I, I know, I know, I know, but sometimes it feels like it. Yeah. You come over a bit as, as nagging, to be honest. I know I know it's not necessarily what you're intending, but it does come across as that. I recognise it's been really hard, but I think there's still more
0: that has to go in order to bring the house back to something that you, you, you can live
1: in and move around in. You I know, I know.
2: I don't think at any point Barry was completely convinced this was for his own good. And, and that's mm. where I think the show did overstep the mark. I think they thought, well, we need to create something that's entertaining. Uh, clearly this guy isn't going to play ball with us in terms of making a good TV show. So we need to try and force the issue a little bit. And as far as I can see, that element of, of, of the programme led to me and most people thinking this is slightly uncomfortable viewing
1: it is it is but i i think because we're also doctor who fans it becomes uncomfortable um at at the beginning of the copy that i viewed here they showed brief clips of other um episodes in the series where like women who have too many shoes or clothes or you know people who have too much stuff of any particular like a sportsman might have too much memorabilia or something like that so maybe it hits a little bit too close to home because it's Doctor (laughs) Who, I mean, I I would actually be interested in seeing other um, episodes in this series to see how balanced they treat, I suppose, fans of other genres like sporting or fashion or, you know, whatever.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've not seen any other episodes at all. It's not my cup of tea. The only reason why I watched it is because I knew I was going to be on it. Um, well, I, had a, I had a pretty good idea that it would be anyway. But yeah, I, I agree. I, I'd like to see it with someone who had completely signed up to the process, someone who had accepted that they needed to change. And when uh, I mean, you talk about shoes, I, I've. Well, this is quite an ambition to make on a podcast with ten, twelve thousand. 12,000 um, listeners, but I've I've got around about forty five pairs of trainers. All right, I've got considerably more <laughs> shoes than uh, than my wife has. And my wife, watching this with me, was saying, "James, we really need to get you on this show." <laughs> um, there's there's a thing with me. Um, it, it's coats and it's shoes and uh, and Doctor Who memorabilia. So yeah, I I do accept that you know there are times when you really do need to declutter, or else your house just becomes depressing but I think as I said this show got the balance slightly wrong and, uh, and mm. unless you simply didn't care very much about the guys you were watching on television I think uh, it was uncomfortable viewing for the majority of people.
1: As as for the redesign I, I think they raised about two or three thousand pounds mm. off, off Barry's gear on you know they went to various art dealers and um you know, uh, hand dealers and stuff like. Plus the convention, and they raised all this money, and and they got in this in inverted commas cutting edge designer who who's apparently quite famous on the U of K. and uh, frankly, what she did with the house was absolutely hideous. <laughs> I mean, poor Barry, he he walked into this room where they grayed the walls with this apparently beautiful colour. He he was given a computer desk that was day-glow orange. His conservatory had 3D wallpaper, black and white 3D wallpaper spread around the edges of it, and and these hideous Chinese lamps hanging from the ceiling. I mean, poor old Barry. I, I mean, he he was a man of few words, um, and he was probably didn't really have many words to say when he saw what was going on in his house when he was when they had the big reveal at the end of the episode no, you, You're quite correct, uh, I, I, I did wonder uh, what he was going to make of it and I
2: think when he saw it, it was the most animated he got for the entire programme, <laughs> yeah. but uh, I, I don't know I mean, just to try and give people an idea of what it looked like, I mean, do you, I don't know if you had them in Australia, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you do, you know those kids' ball pits and you had slides and um, you mm. know, stuff, mm. like, It's basically soft play that's what his house looked like <laughs> it was a giant <laughs> soft play area, um, I mean the only thing I really liked was the um, was the psychedelic 3D wallpaper uh, in in the conservatory I thought that was quite good but the remainder of it I agree, I'm colourblind and yet it still offended my retinas terribly (laughs) but uh, I did feel that it was a vehicle for the presenters to promote themselves, I think Barry was very very of a secondary consideration. He wasn't the mm. priority on this show. I think it was quite stark. I mean, normally, I and mean, when you think about reality TV when it started, things like Big Brother, you know, it it was actually done with a little bit of subtlety before it went completely crazy and they started getting extremely eccentric housemates in. But to start with, it was it was quite careful how they presented it, you know, we're not invading these these people's privacy too much. You didn't expect to see them in the shower and so on. Whereas now, reality TV seems to have got to a stage where anything is fair game. And I just think it's, you know, they they need to use a little bit more judgment when you're dealing with people who are so obviously not um, interacting with society in what you would consider to be a normal way. And I think that could be, well, I think it was exemplified and demonstrated very clearly in, in, in this programme.
1: Poor old Barry. I mean, he, he he was pretty much a deer in the headlights for a you know the entire run of it yeah um, i I just think he wanted it to be over so he could get back to collecting again because mm. I, I I really have no doubt that, that that those beautiful rooms that were created now have clutter back in them because that's that 's the way Barry is. Barry seems like a guy who um, isn 't going to change his spots for anyone he he seems quite content and happy with what he 's got
2: well, that was it you see i don 't think he saw there any, there was any real need uh, to change, and I think that 's the only the only justifiable reason that people could go in and say, look, you know, you're actually living in a bit of a death trap here. So I think that needed to be done for his own good. But it it should still have been done with his consent. And it didn't really look like that they'd... um, they got that to me so and, and one of the other things that really got me and I know I, I was chatting with Lisa earlier on during the week about this and uh, he was saying because he was so unconvinced about this whole idea to start with they put him through hypnotherapy I mean, they hypnotised mm. the poor guy you know you don't believe what we're going to say we're going to brainwash you into believing what we are recommending is correct and then all of a sudden he seemed to be oh okay you know I'll, I'll, I don't mind setting this I don't mind setting that and by the end of the programme he kind of come full circle and was back to where he'd begun and was kind of thinking, well, why have I done this? And mm. I, I still think... I mean, the whole thing was done on the basis that he could bring his um, two nephews round to play. But frankly, by the end of the show, it looked like he would much rather have had his collections and his nephews in the house.
1: Please check it out. It's it's a really good episode, too. I mean, from, from a, a Doctor Who perspective, Get Your House in Order. It's episode six mm. of the particular season that's screening at the moment. So, yeah. Give it a look. I'm sure you can find it around the net, and probably Channel 4's got some form of online player thingy, presumably.
2: Yeah, by the time you listen to this, it will probably have gone from that, but um, I'm I'm sure people can use their innovative skills to try Mm, and find it somewhere. Yeah.
1: We have some very clever listeners.
2: Okay, after that brief interlude, uh, talking about (laughs) reality TV, um, let's get into some of the feedback. You've been extremely prolific in the feedback you've been sending us, and uh, we don't always get the time on the DWP to go through it, but we we thought we'd dedicate a little bit of time this time, especially given uh, so many of you have been recording some audio feedback for us. The first of which is from Joel, based in your neck of the woods, Well. Close, Trev. New South Wales, is that close to you?
1: Just down the road. Thought like Hop, skip and a jump. Hey guys, Joel here. I just wanted to share my thoughts on how I think Doctor Who could celebrate its 50th anniversary. Basically, my idea consists of five episodes, with each of those episodes representing the five decades of our beloved show. So, for example, the first episode would be 60s centric and would incorporate elements from that era, such as perhaps Dark Mania, or you could even have a scenario where Matt Smith introduces colour to a grayscale community, or um, a 70s episode could be a big unit affair and involves a plot that includes a really long scarf. I'm not sure, though, how exactly you would represent the wilderness years in the 90s episode, but I'm sure you get the idea. Cheers, guys. Love the podcast. Would be interested to hear your thoughts on my idea. Thanks. Well, thank you, Joel, for that. That is a really great idea. Having separate stories or even a separate documentary style thing which looks at each decade of Doctor Who um, I, I think Joel was sort of trying to say there too that maybe you could even have five or six stories in a season, each one set in each era that Doctor Who has been on that that sounds like a fantastic idea imagine having like a, a 60s based story like you said and then having a 70s based story with Unit and then having an 80s based story, I don't know, based around Tegan Javanka's skirt or something like that, I don't know <laughs> I, yeah, I, I,
2: it's an interesting idea. I, I think it's probably going to appeal to fans more than anybody else and of course this is within the context of the 50th anniversary celebrations and that's that's one particular subject that we've discussed a number of times here on the DWP and has generated the most amount of feedback and uh, it, it's clear that a number of you out there have got... Um, some good ideas uh, as to how the team could celebrate it i'm not entirely certain this idea is that good though i have to say i i Aww. think i think it would be quite difficult to, to to come up with stories that would appeal to everybody now personally i would quite like the idea i i, I think i would probably take it a little bit further again if the intended audience was purely fans And that would be to try and create a Doctor Who story, a current Doctor Who story, but in a way that it would feel like a 60s era story. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I like the idea of deliberately trying to evoke the feel of a different era, a past era. And I think it's something that the show, the classic series in particular, has done, perhaps not on purpose, in the past, if, if you look at something like Robot, now I know that's the very first story uh, in the Fourth Doctor's era, but it feels very much like a Third Doctor story. Uh, and if they were to do that deliberately, perhaps they could celebrate past and present who altogether. So I, I think that would be a nice little idea. Whether or not that would be appreciated by, as I said, people outside of what we describe as fandom, I'm, I'm not so sure.
1: I think it would be a nice little nugget for those in the know, like Doctor Who fans that knew that they were homaging a a particular era or decade or year of Doctor Who, but it still would be a story that would work well in its own right without having to know that it's based on a 70s story or a 60s story or something like that.
2: Well, it would have to. It it depends whether or not it's trying to emulate the way a story was told in the sixties, or whether or not it's just trying to give the odd nod uh, to 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 sixties, seventies Doctor Who and so on, because if it's if it's the former, then it could work. But I I, I still think you know, there's a mini-series as a mini series, as as Joel suggests, four, five, six episodes. That's going to be difficult, and I think certainly if you come up with a brand new episode that's based on the way 90s Doctor Who was made, i.e. the 90-minute McGann movie, you're really (laughs) going to have difficulty. I think they're struggling there. I I have a feeling that they will probably come up with um, something a little bit more obvious uh, for the 50th anniversary, but it's a nice suggestion nonetheless. Thanks, Joel, for sending it in.
1: Our next bit of feedback is a written bit of feedback from Bill Medland, who who I believe also was a recent uh, joiner of our forum. So welcome on board, Bill, and thanks for the feedback. Mm. Uh, My idea of a 50th anniversary episode would be called The Twelve Doctors. It would contain the 11 doctors we We already have with the introduction of the 12th doctor at the end of the episode. Hmm. Interesting.
2: (laughs) It is. I think it very much depends uh, on whether or not Matt Smith intends to move on. Because if he doesn't, trying to have a cameo from some actor who would have to return to the role after Matt Smith finishes might be problematic, to say the least. But uh, <laughs> if, if you take away all practical um, problems that that raises, then I like the idea. And, you know, I, I really like the idea of seeing future doctors. Uh, but mm. I can't really see, unless they go down the lines of alternative timelines or just one of a number of possible futures, how that's going to you know work in a in a story that's going to appeal to fans and the casual viewer alike.
1: Yes, all, all I could think of when I read that feedback was, well, what are they going to do about one, two and three?
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's the same discussion that we've had, isn't it uh, on several several occasions and I, I still think they probably will get round to to addressing that in some way, even if it is only voice actors or an animated episode featuring all of the doctors which in all fairness will be something very similar to the forgotten uh, which idw did a little while ago yeah I, th- I think the issue of getting doctors one two three and, and possibly even four who knows back on screen in a credible way uh, is something that we've discussed many many times here on a dwp that there are certainly a number of options which is something our very own uk trev touches on in some feedback that he sent us take it away
0: uk trev hello everybody at the camper lane. um UK there, uh, and you know, I can't get out of my head since I heard the feedback episode and that idea for a Trials and Tribulations-style episode that somehow doesn't jump the shark. I've had this idea that struck me immediately that would satisfy everybody's concerns, and I'm now obsessed with it. Okay, here's the idea. A character kind of like the Doctor Watcher from Rose would come to Matt Smith to show footage from CCTV cameras, uh, gathered from unit, from crashed alien spaceships, or even bought from rogue time travellers like Captain Jack. And you could see footage of past Doctors then, shown to Smith's comments of, I remember that, puffy shirts are cool, etc. But following the Doctor is a figure in a hooded cape, fairly easy to impose into any footage uh, with today's technology. And in the last of those shots, it would be revealed that the figure is the Paul McGann Eighth Doctor. He'd work really well in a full hooded cape, wouldn't he? It would give him a chance to to have another Doctor adventure. Uh, And it wouldn't be the Eleventh Doctor's quest to meet all of his past selves. It's the Eighth Doctor's. Number Eleven would want to know about the gap in his memory, given that all the Doctors involved are past versions of himself. A pre- and post-Time War Doctor arguing about the wibbly-wobbliness and the rewritability of time would be an entertaining bit of mockery, both towards and for the fans. Uh, the jeopardy could come from any of the past cases being altered, or from the Doctor Watcher, or as well as the reason McGann gives for his quest. And McCann, McGann could do this at his current age. I mean, who knows how long he carried on for after the movie. Uh, any doctors who prove to be unavailable, too expensive, too ill, or just too deceased to film a brief segment can be featured in the CCTV montage at the beginning. I damn you guys for suggesting the idea, because now I'm dying to see it get made. Well, and I love the idea from the US school kid of the catchphrases showing up in odd places, um, although I think it couldn't really have happened before Matt Smith in the modern era. For example, whenever I hear somebody say, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry, I usually imagine that they're impersonating the Tenth Doctor, but usually they're actually apologising for having just farted. Anyway, thanks guys, and keep up the good work.
1: Yeah, well, I I suppose there's lots of options there for, um, I suppose, digital trickery if they really wanted to go down that route. I think we've talked before about how you could insert, say, Matt Smith in a classic era Doctor Who and what difficulties it would um, present, I suppose, narrative-wise. And this is the same sort of thing, really. I mean, you're kind of shoehorning in these extra things into it. It, it, It's something I would actually love to see, but it might be a little bit too fan-ish. It mightn't be enough... For the general public to really enjoy and appreciate, perhaps.
2: Yeah, I agree. I, I think it's it's a nice idea, and it's good to hear Trev getting so excited about his idea. And uh, I'm I'm glad that it was our discussion on a previous podcast that uh, that stimulated his idea. But I I think it's too forced. I think the whole idea of a quest, whether or not it's you know the Eighth Doctor as Trev suggests, or whether it's the Eleventh Doctor going back to meet you know himself in in scenes of previous stories, it's 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 too forced. Um, it, it's trying to get every incarnation of the Doctor into a story uh, without really thinking how well the story will appear on screen. And in, in all fairness, it's exactly the plot of the Eight Doctors book that Terence Dix oh, wrote. Oh, yeah, that was which, in my uh, thought too. Yeah. Here
1: it, I was thinking that if they ever did a novelization of it, they'd ring up Terry and get him to do it, and it would turn out exactly... Like Like the the Eight eight Doctors, Doctors. yeah, which, you
2: know, wonderful idea. And in a way, it is a fan's dream, um, you know, just to see a new iteration of The Doctor in old classic stories. But I think, in all honesty, it is just a dream. In reality, it's not going to work very well. And uh, if they are going to spend so much money on doing something like that, then I'd like to see a novel, an original story, uh, not just all of Mm. the... um, you know, the the traditional, the the very typical ideas that people come up with to bring doctors together. It needs to be something new this time.
1: Well, our next bit of feedback is from our, our good friend of the show, Dr. Phil. Over to you, sir.
4: Hello, gentlemen at the Doctor Who podcast. Hey, it's Dr. Phil here at Adventures in Space and Music in the Chicago area with a couple small rebuttals about the discussions about fandom in the United States. Since 2005, when the series came back, I've observed lots of young people, especially from middle school through high school, um, becoming highly interested in the show. And I think it's only been in the last year or two at the high school level that's grades 9 through 12 in the United States where I've seen lots of students at the high school level really embracing the show I'm still one because of you know watching it on PBS um, growing up people like me were beaten up for watching a show like Doctor Who so it's kind of for me it's like it's the end of the world people like this show I cannot believe it um, um, one thing uh, that, that James had mentioned um, was was that PBS uh, still shows Doctor Who? Yes and no. Uh, PBS um, stations around the country um, often still show the early seasons of the news of new Doctor Who. Um, when the new series came, there was a lot less ability to to show on public television the classic series, which a lot of us lamented. Who of course enjoy both a great deal, um, but seasons one through um, three and occasionally four, you can see on uh, many public television stations. And in the 1990s, I was uh, definitely um, pledging my support to PBS station in uh, California when I lived out there um, for um, keeping Doctor Who on the air week after week. Keep up the great work, gentlemen. Always a great listen. Bye-bye.
2: Wonderful. Thanks ever so much, Phil, for that that feedback. Um, Interesting when you're talking about... um, high school and grades nine through to 12, because I've still got no idea what age <laughs> pupils you're talking about there. Um, <laughs> that's, that's because I've no idea about the American education system, strangely. Uh, but I, I'm interested in the way that US fandom operates. Uh, and we've talked about this this in the past. And I, I think certainly you mentioned catchphrases almost, which um, which certainly was very true for fans... During the classic era, as I said, it was a secret code. I'm sure I've referred to it like that in the past. You could always tell when one of your friends or someone who you meet um, understands references that, uh, that 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 were derived from from classic Who. I'm not so sure that really happens uh, with, with new Who now, and um, perhaps that's something to do with the fact that it's not getting the exposure uh, on PBS um, as much. As as classic, who has been up until very recently, but uh, it's it's a really interesting discussion, uh, U.S. fan, and one that I don't know a terrific amount about, uh, other than my own personal experiences, and that's that's basically speaking to a whole load of fans uh, at Gallifrey, you know, people who are predominantly American, and it it's still, as I said, in my view, it's still very much seen as as a cult, uh, whereas in the U.K. it's it's moved, um, and it's been very interesting to see the transition from almost a joke in the UK, all the way up to now, whereby it's um it's an accepted, uh, mainstream piece of television, mm. and the whole idea of you being laughed at or beaten up, I think, as uh, as Phil mentions in his feedback, is is inconceivable. It's more more like the other way around You don't watch Doctor Who? What's wrong with you? Uh,
1: let's beat up all the non Doctor Who fans. Let's start <laughs> the campaign
2: now. Well, let's start off with Battlestar Galactica fans first, and then we'll have to work our way <laughs> through the rest. So. <laughs>
1: Our next bit of feedback is a bit of written feedback from Luke Drinkwater. Thank you, mate, for sending that in. Um, says all sorts of wonderful things about how wonderful we are and how great the podcast is. That, that That's just by the by, really. He's talking about <laughs> our comments in regard to uh, no more new classic Doctor Who. And he's saying, um, A new Doctor Who DVD for me is heaven. Having not been alive pre again and not properly aware of Doctor Who pre-Eccleston, I love that there is a whole world of Doctor Who to work my way through. I used to watch classic Doctor Who on UK TV Gold on Saturday mornings before that got taken off. But now all I can do is slowly collect every DVD that there is related to the show. I've currently collected 38 episodes. A fair whack, but nowhere near finished. Now oh, You've got a lot to go, mate. Oh, Tell me about it. <laughs> oh, <laughs> lots, lots and lots of shelves to fill. Yeah. Uh, I've set up an Amazon wish list named Doctor Who with everything released that I don't own. So I'm going to work my way slowly back through that over the rest of my life. It will be a lifelong obsession, Luke. Believe you me. You, mm. you will get married, you will have a mortgage, you will have children, and you might finally... Get that last Doctor Who DVD, and of course, <laughs> then by then you'll move on to Blu-ray, so you'll have to ha- have another collection to complete.
2: Yeah, almost certainly, and I would imagine, given uh, Luke Seventeen, then um, there may be some successor to Blu-ray by then, where you'll have to start all over again. Uh, but yeah, this this is in response to uh, a conversation we had a little while ago about how how depressing it is really uh, when you watch your last classic Who story for the first time, and that happens to me, ages and ages ago. In fact, I have a feeling I may be the only one on the campervan team who has seen every episode of available classic Doctor Who. And um, I I still sit down. I still sit down with a little bit of anticipation when I know I haven't seen the story for for years and I can't really remember a great deal about it. I think the next one for me is The Gunfighters, and I think I've only ever seen that once. Mm. Uh, But I do remember what it was like. Uh, And for me, it was in the days of VHS where there was i think there was two vhs stories released a month uh, for a period of time and I, I had no access to them I hadn't seen these stories before I mean I didn't have Sky TV uh, Luke mentions UK TV Gold the uh, predecessor for that was uh, was UK Gold and there was a couple of um, colleagues at work who had it who recorded some for me but that was really weird because you were watching Doctor Who with adverts in it and there were times when the adverts were actually longer than the segments of Doctor Who that they, <laughs> they aired so it was an extremely frustrating experience and of course none of the pictures were cleaned up it wasn't restored in any way so you were watching very very poor quality doctor who so when you got a brand new vhs uh, come out in the shops in our price records if if people in the uk remember that that chain then they're as old as i am um and and, and even the, the the artwork was something i used to look forward to because the, uh, the videos were so beautifully packaged. I mean, they, they seem incredibly ancient now when you, when you sit here in 2012 talking about VHSs. But they were state-of-the-art at the time. And towards the end of the range, uh, the BBC got more and more inventive and they started putting on extra features onto the VHSs as well. And for mm. me, it was almost like I looked forward to, to that point in the month when the VHSs were released so much. And uh, I remember going to work and I, I sent my sister to go and buy them uh, on, the, on, the, on the day of release. And I had to pay her an additional £5 or thereabouts to, for her time and trouble. But otherwise, I wasn't going to be able to get into the town centre because the shops simply weren't open long enough uh, in, in those days. And I, I worked in an area where there was no shops, so... Yeah, it's it's as you can probably tell, Luke, you've plugged into a particularly um, <laughs> strange era in, in my life uh, where where getting hold of new Doctor Who was uh, was something that I lived for, and uh,
1: it's brilliant.
2: It's absolutely brilliant to hear that some of our listeners are going through that experience in 2012. Oh yeah, it's
1: fantastic. I mean, I, I mean, certainly for me, VHS days are very heady days. I mean, I won't get into too much now because I can feel probably a couple of podcasts with my um, <laughs> yes. thoughts about the VHS era because it, it was all tied into with being involved with my local fan club too and certainly, um, you know, Tomb of the Cybermen releases and the Silver Nemesis release which did have that extra documentary on it as well which was just so weird, And you know, having the uh, Sharder on VHS which came with its own script book yeah. in the other half of it. I mean, all sorts of weird stuff like that that you just don't have these days with DVD but it, it's... But you get different stuff now with the DVD. It's all on the disc. So, I mean, really, it's not about extra bits of paper or cardboard or plastic. It's more about the extras they cram onto the disc itself. So mm. it's it's a different kind of rush, I suppose, to what we got when we were um, collecting VHSs. And Precisely. Like so, yeah. And it's yeah.
2: probably quite deliberate as well so that we do go out and reinvest, you know, because you're not just buying mm. an updated version of the VHS. Uh, but, but having said that... Um, The the documentary you mentioned on the Silver Nemesis, VHS, didn't make it onto the DVD. And I've I've no idea why. Perhaps it had something to do with rights as it was an American production, strangely. But uh, I I, I miss things like that. And, yeah, (laughs) I I really would like, you know, and I really do enjoy all of the additional stuff that To Entertain currently throw onto onto the discs, Uh, but it does seem very haphazard which ones they include. For for example, there's um, the Crotons is due for release uh, in in a couple of months, and uh, it's not exactly the most highly regarded story, and people aren't desperately looking forward to it, with the exception of Leeson, who I know holds that in in great esteem, Um, (laughs) for reasons I'll let him describe on a future cast. But what they're doing on that release is that they're including the whole of the Troughton years, now, that was a separate VHS release oh, in its own Oh, my goodness. Do you, do you remember those um? I those do.
1: Releases? Well, there, 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 there was the Hartnell years, there was the Troughton years, there was the uh, Cyberman one that was released, yeah. there was the Dalek one that was released. That's right, Um yeah. and, and they also did those special ones, which John Nathan Turner's production company did, where um, Tom Baker sat down in front of a, um, a TV screen and watched clips from his shows and tried to describe... His, his memories from the series. I think that, that was called the Tom Baker years. It was, yeah. Um, it, was oh, that, 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 it was a whole range. It was a whole range. I mean, it yeah. was Do-
2: Doctors 1 to 4 had their own release. Um, Tom Baker, as you say, who I think was incredibly mischievous uh, with that release. It was a double video release. Do you remember how much space they used to take up on the shelf? Oh, uh, it was a double video. And all it consisted of was, as you say, someone showing Tom Baker clips of his stories and him going, I don't remember that at all. I wonder what that was, and it turned out I, I'm absolutely certain that was rubbish because he came out a couple of years later with some extremely detailed anecdotes about specific stories uh, that he could yeah, remember the titles for.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I, I think that period. I mean, we we're, we're, we're diverging horribly here, but I think that period of Tom Baker's life was the turning point because up to then, Tom Baker had told fandom and told Doctor Who just to go away and get a life. Leave me alone. Yeah. Around that time, which was 92, 93, 94, he seemed to be slowly changing his mind. He, he, I mean, it wasn't leaps and bounds, but there were little things here and there. He started doing documentaries. He um, did stuff for the Myth team, for example. He did the stuff for John Nathan Turner's company. Um, and, and there was little stuff slowly appearing. And now we're at the point where yeah. he, he is embracing Doctor Who again with open arms by doing you know stuff for Big Finish. So... One might hope, perhaps, that if the plans for the 50th anniversary are moving in that direction, that maybe Tom might make an appearance. Who oh, knows?
2: I, I still think he'll feature in some way because he can see a large paycheck dangling um, yeah. you know, right in front of him. And I think that's probably a major consideration for all of the actors now. And, uh, you know, this this brings it round nicely, actually, to, uh, back to our 50th anniversary celebrations. I think perhaps the only person who it could be claimed has scruples not to just accept the money and, and do it is, is Christopher Eccleston. But uh, as I said before, there's always that G.I. Joe thing hanging over him that makes me... It actually gives me hope, thinking that he may do something uh, for the 50th anniversary. <laughs> but Tom Baker, you know... I'm not sure whether or not you can be so completely clueless about something you did, what was at the time, when he recorded the Tom Baker years, what, less than 20 years ago, 25 years ago, and all of a sudden, you add another 10 years onto it and his memory returns, <laughs> you know, it, with, with <laughs> yeah. quite a lot of clarity and quite a lot of detail. I just have a feeling he thought, I'll sit in front of a chair, I'll come up with this format, I'll, I'll say this is how much it's going to cost you and I'll, and I'll play with them and uh, I, I wouldn't surprise me. In the slightest, but uh,
1: mm. but yeah,
2: as I said, I, I would very much like to to start seeing all of the um all of the things that came out during the VHS era, uh back on back on DVD in some form or another, and that might possibly rekindle that kind of excitement that that Luke talks about in um, in his email. All this, right, this...
1: our last bit of feedback for this episode is from Stephen Burkett.
3: Hi guys, it's uh, Stephen Burkett from Strabane again here. Although you've probably gathered by now that um, even though I live in Northern Ireland I don't have a Northern Irish accent. Uh, in fact I was brought up in a seaside town they call Blackpool that's noted for fresh air and fun. You know where where Lucy Miller came from in the audios. Well I was reading today that uh, Jenna Louise Coleman is also from Blackpool and not only that she was the head girl at uh, the school that I went to Arnold School Blackpool. Now way back in the 60s I was very uh, proud to discover that another former pupil of ours was um, a Doctor Who companion as well. Peter Purves was who played Stephen Taylor in 65-66 was a former pupil of my school and in fact um, it was only a few years ahead of me and uh, I once got a, a book of uh, Shakespeare that uh, had belonged to him, and I very wickedly tore out the uh, the label as a souvenir. In fact, I think I even wrote in to Blue Peter at the time to tell them, or to tell him, he was working in Blue Peter. Um, but that's actually not the only Doctor Who connection that Arnold School has, because there was a, a young lad in the, in the class below me called Ian Levine. I think you might have heard of him too. So uh, here's a challenge for your, uh, for your listeners. I wonder, can they find another school with so many Doctor Who connections? I don't, I don't count myself as a Doctor Who connection, by the way. Um, thanks again, Stephen Burkett, Stravan.
1: Lovely bit of feedback there, Steve. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting how I, I, I suppose you can make those connections between uh, Doctor Who stars like Ian Levine and Peter Perves. I'm, I'm sure a lot of you guys in the U of K of, of, of a certain age could probably make very similar connections to um stars of Doctor Who i mean did mm. did you go to school with um Janet Fielding or something James, or?
2: <laughs> I was the most famous person um, that I went to school with, so in other words. No, <laughs> there isn't anybody I went to school with who. Well, I can
1: famous. understand your fame. When you're working with me, it's time <laughs> to rub off a little bit. Well, yeah. this is
2: it. You see, all of this sidling up to you is is, is finally paid off. And uh, indeed, no, I, indeed. As far as I'm aware, um, I, I'm I, I don't think I went to school with anyone even even remotely famous. So so no. But <laughs> but you're, you're quite right. When when you consider that Doctor Who is, is you know is 50 years old, and you consider the number of actors, even companions. Who have starred in it? It's it's almost inconceivable that there are people out there who don't have memories of, of going to school with them, um, or at least may have some connection to uh, a college or a university that they went went along to.
1: You know, for me, any listeners out there that might have a similar connection, like uh, Stephen has with with Ian Levine and Jenna Louise and uh, Peter Perves. Um, you've gone to school with a Doctor Who star or, or they've gone to the same school in the same year even perhaps or, or you may have known them I mean you, you, you might have shared a tuna sandwich at lunchtime perhaps I, I don't know um, if there's anyone out there that, that has those sort of school connections or work connections with a Doctor Who star let us know we, we would love to hear um, those little connections that get made I suppose mm. feedback at the Doctor Who podcast.com.
2: That's about it for another episode of the Doctor Who podcast. It's been absolutely fascinating going through the mailbag once again. It's always good to get feedback from your listeners. Again, can't always promise to play every piece of feedback that we receive because we do get quite a lot these days. Uh, The best chances of making it onto the show are keeping your audio feedback to under two minutes or just putting a couple of lines into an email. Uh, That way we can fit it into an episode that much more easily. Um, But there is one particular piece of feedback that we are soliciting, or should I say Tom is soliciting. Um, Listeners to our recent quiz, quiz number 11, may remember that Tom very, very convincingly, I must add, lost the last DWP quiz. And that means he is next in line to be question master for DWP quiz number 12. Um, we'd like you to get involved by submitting some questions, please. Uh, very, very few guidelines, really. Your question must be about televised Doctor Who. Um, and you can send your questions in to tom at the thedoctorwhopodcast.com.
1: I'm sure they're typing already. So, yeah, so uh, get them in because we, we're looking forward to doing the next quiz, and, and I'm looking forward to my uh, second victory. <laughs> Your
2: second victory in 12 quizzes. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder what the odds at Labricks are for that. You never know. I mean, you got extremely yeah. excited. You know, I listened to that last night, that quiz once again, and I don't think I've ever heard you get quite so excited. Not even when the lost episodes were refound, when you suddenly <laughs> realised you were going to win a quiz.
1: Ah <laughs> oh, well, for some it might be wanting to watch episodes of the Faceless Ones and Galaxy Four. For me, it's winning a pointless quiz on a on, on a minor Doctor Who podcast. So oh well, there, there you, you go. go.
2: Well, I mean, it's it's something that you hadn't done before. So <laughs>
1: there true, you go. true. Anyway, very listeners, true.
2: we'll be back in just a few short days to talk about the latest Paul McGann and Eighth Doctor trilogy released by Big Finish. So in the meantime, all that's left to say is bye for now. Toodles. That was the Doctor Who Podcast, which you can find at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. If you have any feedback, please send it in to feedback at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and via the Doctor Who Podcast forums. Thank you for listening.
4: Take care.